Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We want to be your source for market intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Bull Realty Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Check it out at bullrealty.com or give me a call because I am Michael Bull. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're going to talk about retail, uh, retail sales. We're going to talk about the retail market. We're going to talk to some experts involved in the retail sector. And we're also going to talk about the retail investment market. And I think, you know, retail investment market is really interesting to me. We, we saw a lot of shopping centers and strip centers throughout the, the southeast. And it's, it's interesting to see how well some of these properties are performing and how much demand that we see for, for properties when we take on the market. But we're also seeing some properties that are struggling and, and some properties that are having problems uh, you know, servicing the debt. And so it's uh, interesting. Uh, the other thing that I think is really um, interesting about retail properties is their location. So even if they are going through some changes, uh, usually it's really good located real estate. It's usually on Main and Main. It's flat. It's got utilities. It's cleared. It's it's in a good location. So obviously there's a lot of uses, a lot of changing uses going on. Well, let's start with my first guest. It's Jim Costello. He's Senior VP with Real Capital Analytics, and he's joining us on Skype. Jim, thanks for joining us, sir. Hey, thanks for having me here. Well, Jim, uh, you know, as I mentioned uh, in the opening here, it seems like uh, retail is uh, kind of wild and woolly right now, if you will. There's a uh, seems like there's a lot of great properties performing well and, and that we're seeing some distress, at least in some of the, the markets and properties that, that we work in. What do you guys see overall, though, when you look at uh, the retail investment market? Yeah, retail, one issue that I've been pushing to people is that people are painting the retail sector with too broad of a brush, as if Internet sales are destroying everything and there's no reason to be in retail. You know, anybody who thinks that is passing up some great opportunities. There are still wonderful cash flowing properties. The challenge at times, I, I think, is that the best of the best simply doesn't trade. Mm -hmm. If I have the best mall where people are still coming and spending a lot of discretionary money, why sell it? What better asset can I put it into? And, and, and that contrasts with some of the things that do sell uh, where people see uh, transaction activity. Some of the old dead malls, uh, uh, look at some of the deals that were involved in the Centro deal in, uh, in the last cycle, which had priced around $200 a square foot. Some of those malls are now selling for you know, eight to $20 a square foot. Tremendous losses there. But you know, people focus on that because if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> but also typically, you, know, you don't sell the best of the best. And so when you see a transaction, you tend to see you know, some of the worst in that mall space. And, and that's what people have been focused on. But there are uh, still great properties and, and, and good locations that have been transacting. So does that mean then when you track uh, retail cap rates overall and you look at the last several years, is that idea that some of the best of the best are not selling and maybe some of the, the properties, the mediocre more properties are selling? Well, how does that impact in cap rates? Are, are they flat or are they rising? Uh, cap rates are generally flat, uh, although in the uh, single tenant net lease space, they've been a little bit more volatile, uh, just given the volatility of the bond markets. You know, we had the 10-year treasury rise up to two, and then uh, 3.2, and then fall to two. And, you know, so there's a little bit of movement there because those investors, there's no, uh, it's, it's almost a bond alternative. Uh, there's nothing around the, the leasing that's an upside for them. 
So, you know, that that issue has been uh, 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 distorting things a bit. But the rest of the retail market, it's been relatively flat, in part because investors, uh, if you have a good asset, you don't have to sell in a distress just because rates are moving a bit and just because everybody else is afraid of retail. So as you can refinance and uh, access capital that way, uh, you can sit pretty for a bit. Yeah. Uh, the, the one measure that I've been looking at uh, more than the cap rate, so it's just looking at the absolute uh, price per pound and looking at price trends. Our commercial property price index, when we segment it by geography across the U.S., you know, the Northeast and the Western states, we're well above where we were in 2007 uh, for prices in those regions. And part of it is that you know those parts of the United States have very fast-growing, dynamic, tech-driven economies. And the area that's sort of at the bottom, uh, still below, and actually falling now, uh, the 2007 uh, peak levels, is the Midwest, where a lot of the, uh, you know, the so-called Rust Belt and a lot of the uh, space that was built to satisfy middle-class workers in the 60s and 70s is being sold at a song. Uh, because those middle-class construction, or rather uh, middle-class industrial workers in the 60s and 70s, those jobs are gone. They're not shopping at JCPenney anymore. And uh, you know, so those, those types of malls are, are facing challenges. Yeah, that's interesting. So what do you see on types of properties? Uh, you mentioned malls. Uh, are there other types of properties when you look at smaller strip or you look at grocery anchored uh, where you see some uh, maybe opportunities or, or better growth? Yeah, you know, I start with the malls all the time because it's the one that gets the most attention. Right. Uh, maybe I've been watching the new season of Stranger Things too much and thinking about the mall there. But the you know, when you think about other types of properties, the ones that aren't focused as much on the discretionary income, uh, things uh, focused on, say, day-to-day -day needs in the grocery world. Uh, you know, there hasn't been uh, much movement of cap rates there either because you know there's still some steady yield from these assets. And investors, even though there's some fear about retail overall, uh, you know, investors uh, still find those to be attractive assets. Now, that said, deal volume has been down this year for retail, uh, like other types of sectors. Uh, it, you know, it's, there is some uncertainty that has been building, just given some of the broader macro issues as this economic cycle uh, gets along in tooth. Well, Jim, what would you expect for retail cap rates moving forward, uh, given where we are in the economy, where we are with tariffs, where we are in the cycle? Would you expect cap rates of retail to be fairly flat, go up, go down? What do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts for retail cap rates. I think the movement in the future for cap rates, I think it's going to vary a little bit based on the type of retail you're looking at. Again, single tenant at least. Uh, you know, that asset type is more of a bond alternative. Uh, if interest rates move up from this 2% level for the 10-year treasury, you know, eventually you might see some movements on the, on the single tenant net lease cap rate. Now, it hasn't really moved much uh, relative to where we were at the end of last year. Uh, there's been uh, a bit of a widening gap, but uh, eventually you know, there's sort of uh, uh, some movement that might be involved there. I don't think this 2% level we're at at the moment is sustained forever. Uh, that's not saying that we're going to go up for the 10-year Treasury to five or six percent like we had in the distant past. Uh, uh, but still, I think we're going to eventually get up from the two percent level. 
but yeah, as that moves, I think we'll see more responsiveness uh, from that single tenant in that lease world. Now, other types of property, though, uh, when we get into uh, uh, more of your neighborhood and community centers, uh, deal a little bit with your day-to-day -day needs, a little bit of your discretionary income, you know, that type of asset, uh, it's, it's going to be a little less responsive to the movements in interest rates as they do eventually go up. Uh, in part, you know, because you know the the story that should drive interest rate increases should be uh, a little bit of growth in the economy that uh, in turn gives uh, people a little bit more money to spend. When they have a little bit more money to spend, they'll go to uh, restaurants more and uh, uh, you know spend money and uh, in some of these centers. And so, uh, you know, there's uh, a little bit of a race between the two. Is there enough growth to offset the interest rate increases? But uh, at the moment, uh, it just seems like it will be flat until, until some of the uncertainty in the economy goes away. I don't think you see uh, owners of the best properties selling at a discount just because of worries about where the economy's at. Yeah, and, and I was interviewing you for another show, and you mentioned uh, your think tank uh, with a lot of uh, uh, real estate analysts and economists like yourself. And, and you guys have talked about the, the cycle. And when you think about retail, is that a sector, Jim, that, that maybe gets impacted by a change in the cycle or, or a downturn faster than you know, industrial office uh, because of uh, tenant performance? Does it happen? Does it get impacted faster? You know, the retail sector, uh, just put aside for the moment the whole issue of disintermediation by, by the internet. Even before, it was a sector that had a lot of turnover. Tenants were always experimenting, trying to find new ways to reach out to, uh, to consumers, and uh, always uh, trying new formats and, and, and uh, you're redoing things. Uh, certain types of, of retail uh, uh, for, say, consumer goods, uh, that's a little bit riskier in the middle of a downturn. Because in a downturn, people will not buy a new refrigerator. They'll try and make do for a bit. They'll try and make do with the stove they've got. Uh, so anything focused on sort of the, the heavy consumer goods, you know, that may have a little bit more of a risk as opposed to the things that are more the day-to-day -day needs. Uh, you know, that type of spending continues in a downturn. So you know, to the extent you get some weakness, you know, there could be just some disparity in the performance of, of the assets. But it really depends, you know, what type of tenants have you got? Have you got a mix of all consumer activity in your tenants? Uh, then uh, you may be a little bit uh, safer in that regard. Okay. Jim, what would you leave our audience with uh, considering if you were talking to a, a retail property investor uh, today to think about uh, retail moving forward? You know, I, I'd leave you with where I started. People are painting retail with too broad of a brush, you know, taking the worst stories on retail and saying that that is impacting all of the retail market. Uh, the internet isn't killing retail. Uh, internet sales are only about 10% of all consumer spending. Uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the end of the world because of that. Yes, you've lost bookstores. Yes, you've lost record stores. But you know, that's just you know, part of the ongoing change of how uh, you know, producers of content uh, get in touch with uh, consumers. There's still some great retail properties out there. It's just a matter of uh, you know, picking the right ones. Yeah. So should I open this new uh, video rental business I was thinking about opening up <laughs> in a store? <laughs> <laughs> Blockbuster. Uh, there you go. Maybe, uh, 
Maybe for the hipsters there in Atlanta and uh, five points, so like that. There you go. Jim, sir, thanks for uh, uh, joining us. Great information as usual. Thank you. If you like more information from Jim, check them out and their services at Real Capital Analytics. And stay with us. We'll have more on the retail sector and retail real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Red IQ, turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Visit rediq.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. The segment's brought to you by Red IQ. Check it out. They kind of magically take spreadsheets and convert it to analytics that you can use. And it does it very quickly for multifamily properties. It's rediq.com. Well, today we're talking about retail, retail real estate, and uh, retail in general. Please welcome my next guest, Stephanie Sigelski. And she is with ICSC, International Council of shopping centers and she's joining us on Skype. Stephanie, good to see you again. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Well, Stephanie, one thing that uh, everyone is is aware of and uh, conscious of today is the effect of online sales and what that's kind of done to brick and mortar. And it certainly uh, brought some changes uh, to the brick and mortar retail real estate world. Uh, but uh, tell us about what you guys refer to as the halo effect. Well, the halo effect um, was part of a report we released last year that said that when a store opens in a market, uh, they see a 37% increase to their web traffic in that market. So having a physical presence drives traffic to the website. Uh, we also found that vice versa, if they close a store in the market, they experience a decrease in web traffic in that market. So you can see the synergy between online and physical is actually much more significant than um, most people think it is. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it could be showroom. It could be going to order online. It could be kind of just presence in advertising and advertising and sort of uh, top of mind, right? Absolutely. And it's very much it brings brand awareness to consumers. Um, you know, the cost of customer acquisition is expensive. So we're seeing more of these digitally native um, retailers opening brick and mortar locations. And part of that is because of this effect, because it, it drives that awareness and um, brand loyalty that people seek and want. So it's, a, it's a, a less expensive way to acquire customers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. And uh, so I want to ask you about uh, student, uh, you know, spending for students going into the fall. Here we are in the summer of 19. Uh, I guess the next spending season, right, is back to school shopping. What do you guys expect? Uh, you know, we're, we will be releasing our results in the next couple of weeks. Um, Deloitte released theirs this morning saying they expect spending to be flat but not um, decrease year over year, which is fine. It, you know, it's... Uh, some of that may be due to, to shifting demographics and uh, fewer children in schools. Um, but overall, you know, it looks to be a strong back-to-school season. Uh, the, the great thing about back-to-school is it doesn't just touch one segment of the market. It's, it's books, it's 
binders, it's clothes, it's shoes. So all retailers really benefit from the back to school season. Yeah, it makes sense. I think other than Christmas, if I think about my own spending, uh, you know, having uh, children that went through school and, and now uh, once finished college and about to finish, yeah. I think I do a little spending at that time <laughs> of year too. Yeah. I, I have one moving into an apartment for her sophomore year in college and one going into his junior year of high school. So the spending is very different, but uh, it's significant. Yeah. Now, you know, retail, as we mentioned, has changed a lot uh, and continues to to uh, morph uh, into kind of the new retail of today. And you guys just had the really the largest conference on retail, retail real estate in the world at Recon, uh, which is in Vegas. So I was wondering, you know, what was really popular out there? Any kind of changes in what you see uh, in, in popularity? Absolutely. So we actually had a few different, uh, a few new uh, destinations this year. Uh, one was uh, emerging brands, who are those online-only brands going to physical locations. You know, your typical pop-up shops. Um, that we're seeing that consumers love, and health and wellness, uh, which is becoming significant. And that's not just the medical field, that is truly fitness as well. Uh, so we saw great interest in all of those. Uh, we particularly saw strong interest in health and wellness, especially as it related to the cannabis industry, uh, which is becoming a, a prominent part of uh, the country at this moment at the state level. Yeah, and I guess if, since you're like the TV people, you know, when they kind of throw it back to the anchor. So when you throw it back to me, you could say, ear, ear. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we shouldn't go there, right? I just heard, I've just seen that on television. So, I, you know, that figure that's what they do. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, collecting online sales tax. You know, uh, how has that impacted? Are the states really collecting online sales tax now? And is it having an effect yet? Absolutely. So uh, June 23rd was the one-year anniversary uh, since the Supreme Court ruled on the Wayfair v. South Dakota uh, case, which uh, said that uh, a physical nexus was created by an online sales, uh, on, excuse me, on, by online sales. Um, so what we have seen is 43 of the 45 states that collect sales tax have put in some sort of legislation or regulation or reworked what they previously had to begin collecting those sales taxes. And there has been a significant increase in the sales taxes collected. Uh, the nice thing is, is that uh, we're seeing the, the opponents uh, argued that this would be a burden on the small online sellers. And what states have done is they have set up um, minimums. So whether that's a minimum number of transactions or a minimum number of sales that take place in that state is what triggers the collection of that sales tax by the retailer. Um, you know, it's important to note that that sales tax is, was legally due anyway. Uh, most consumers don't submit it. Uh, I, I don't submit it, <laughs> uh, but it is legally due. So this just actually puts the onus on the retailer to collect it and remit that tax. Uh, so we have seen great progress. Um, you know, states like or cities like Philadelphia are reporting in significant increases in those collections, which is wonderful because that goes to, you know, necessary services like emergency services and schools. Is any of the brick and mortar retailers or uh, or maybe the retailers who do both online and brick and mortar, are we even reporting yet that that's increased uh, their brick and mortar sales? Uh, not that I have seen. Um, so, you know, we'll wait and see. We're just a year into it. Um, 
a lot of the regulations um, have either went into effect the first of this year or actually go into effect later this year or the first of next year. So the next 12 months will be really critical to um, see uh, what's going to transpire between the two. Okay. And Stephanie, when you talk to uh, retailers and you talk to retail property owners and, and those of us in the retail business, what are some of the concerns that, that you most hear about today or are we concerned about tariffs? Are we concerned about uh, the cycle where we are in the economy? You know, what, what do you hear from f folks that uh, maybe is on their mind uh, as, a, as a potential concern? I think there's always concerns. Tariffs are definitely weighing heavily on retailers' minds. Um, that's significant. That's a you know a cost that ultimately gets passed on to the consumer. Uh, the economy is always a concern, although uh, even as we see um, some indications that maybe it's starting to slow and the Fed making um, moves to possibly cut rates, um, it remains a strong economy with uh, low unemployment, uh, which is good. Uh, and so you're also seeing, again, this from a, from a real estate perspective, this diversification of tenant mix. So you're seeing the food and beverage, uh, you're seeing smaller shops, you're seeing more experience, um, which, you know, kind of recession proofs their property. Um, but, you know, definitely um, there's a close eye on what's going on in Washington and um, what that means for the future. Yeah. You know, one thing I seem to see in a lot of, of centers uh, is a lot of food courts and you know, a lot of restaurants uh, in a lot of these properties. Uh, are you hearing any any concern out there that are, are we building too many restaurants in some of these places? No, I don't think so. There's a strong demand. Millennials really want experience. Um, and so that's part of it is the dining aspect. Um, baby boomers are empty nesters and may not want to cook. And so we're seeing them eat out more. I think you're just seeing more um, selection uh, in those in those um food choices, which is good. It's not just the same restaurant being built over and over again. And the F&B sector has added over a million jobs in the last three years. So we've seen that growth. Um, and I think we'll continue to see uh, consumers wanting that experience and that F&B component uh, for some time to come. Okay. And Stephanie, to finish this up here, what can we look forward to from ICSC uh, moving forward uh, or in, in the retail world in general or, or from you guys? Sure. We've, I mean, we are currently working on back to school. We're looking ahead to the holidays. It's that time of the year. It's July. Um, but mostly at July 23rd, we uh, will be releasing the second uh, portion of our HALO studies. Um, so last year, as I mentioned, we looked at web traffic. This year, we're looking at actual spending. So we took a look at um, over 30 million transactions and um, deduced down what that translates into spending. So we looked at when somebody makes an online purchase, do they spend in store within two weeks? And what is that dollar figure? And vice versa, if they go into a store, um, do they then go online within two weeks and spend additional money? So uh, it's a very positive uh, result. We're very pleased with it. And that will be coming out in the next two weeks. Okay, that's excellent. And you have the big Southeastern uh, convention for ICSC coming up uh, in Atlanta too, right, uh, this fall? Uh, we have a number of events coming up. Fall is very busy. We've got our Western Conference in um, Los Angeles. We've got um, Southeastern. We've got uh, Florida. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, first week uh, in December, we have New York deal making here in New York. 
Awesome. Well, a lot to look forward to. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Great information. Thank you. All right, and thank you for joining us. Till next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Red IQ, turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Visit rediq.com.